You're listening to the Brooks Snow Podcast, conversations to help you live in your true identity as the creator of your life. I'm your host, Brooks Snow. You have episode 123. Your connection with God is constant and unconditional. Today's podcast took an unexpected turn. <laughs> I started out with one intent, and before I knew it, I was really addressing a long-held false belief, or dare I say, maybe even a false doctrine? <laughs> In the very least, a misunderstood or mistaught doctrine. I am getting on my soapbox here, so buckle up. I feel like I've been raised to believe that feeling connected to God or having the Spirit be with me is conditional. If I was righteous, then I could feel the Spirit. If I was obedient, then I would be privileged to have connection with God. The opposite would also be inferred. If I was not righteous or made mistakes or failed or didn't do the checklist of holy habits, then... I would be left alone without the reward of God's spirit to be with me. God's love and connection were conditional to my actions. Now, this belief has served me well in moments I need the motivation to be righteous and obedient, and it has been dangerous in the moments I mess up and judge myself as undeserving of God's love and connection. In those moments, I feel shut out and alone and truly damned. My progress stops and I need to fix things on my own until I can earn God's love and connection back again. Have you ever felt this way? Now, I know this could be argued either way through scripture, which is probably why I have struggled so much. Through some unexpected experiences, I have come to believe our connection to God is constant and unconditional. This belief serves me on both sides, both in the moments I'm doing well and in the moments when I'm not, which is one reason I feel this to be the greater truth. Listen in. I would love to know your own thoughts on this very captivating topic. If you enjoy this podcast, I know you would love my book, Living in Your True Identity. It's available on amazon.com and filled with 21 tools to help you live as the best version of yourself. Thank you to everyone who has left a review or shared this podcast. Reviews help the podcast to show up in iTunes when other people are searching for a new podcast. Today's review of the week comes from Hannah Bischoff. She says, I started listening during COVID and couldn't stop. Everything Brooke said resonated with me, and she inspired me to do better and be better. When she announced she was offering a certification program, I knew immediately I had to do it. Her course changed my life and has given me my agency back. I know I am the creator of my life. I cannot say enough about Brooke and what she has done for me, my family, and my coaching business. Hannah, thank you so much for the review. I am so grateful. The messages here and in the coaching program have been so helpful to you, your family, and your coaching business. Keep being an amazing creator. 
And for anyone else listening who's curious about the life-changing certification program, you can find out more at thecreationcoachschool.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. We do open registration in January and have people who return and do it every year because it is such a great support. We will be sharing more about this as we get closer to registration. If you want to be the reviewer of the week, please leave me a five-star review in iTunes and share your favorite takeaway so far. I have mentioned on past podcasts that I've had the goal to make it to a thousand reviews by the end of the year. And guess what? We did it. (laughs) Thank you so much to everyone who has left a rating or a review, or if you've shared this podcast with someone else, please keep it up so we can continue to spread the word. If you've listened to my podcast for very long, or you've taken any of my courses, you know how much I believe in having a solid morning ritual. All through high school, I used to say that my daily happiness depended on six habits, good sleep, eating good food, exercise, prayer, scripture study, and journaling. If I was having a bad day, I would run through my magic six in my mind and inevitably I'd find something missing that was likely contributing to my bad mood or struggle. I still believe those six habits add a lot to my happiness, but I confess that sometimes getting all of that in can take some time, especially with young kids when time to myself felt scarce. I still needed my magic six habits, but it felt harder and harder to do my habits in the perfect way I wanted them to look. And it felt like it took all day to make it happen. I joked with my close friends that it felt like a full-time job just to take care of myself and get all my habits in so I felt happy and connected with God. I remember laughingly mentioning this to my sister one day, and she called me out. She did. She said, Brooke, that's a false belief. What? (laughs) You believe it takes a long time to do those things. You believe it takes a long time to connect yourself to God. What if that simply wasn't true? I was a bit stunned. She had grown up with me and seen me function this way for years. For her to just flat out tell me that I had a false belief about how long it takes (laughs) was shocking to my brain. And yet, I confessed that she was probably right. It often took me a long time simply because I believed it needed to. Fast forward to Christmas Day a few months later. Christmas was on a Sunday that year, and the day was so traumatizing to me that my children now innocently believe Sunday is the worst day of the week for Christmas. (laughs) which is unfortunate because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year and my kids have been moaning their bad luck for months. Now, before you think I'm an official Christmas Scrooge, let me take you back to 2016. I had spent the first half of the year in a deep depression and mental breakdown in which I hit rock bottom. I spent the last half of the year pulling myself out and learning how to prioritize my own self-care and well-being like my life depended on it, because it did. Most of my healing during this time came from saying no to a lot of things and simplifying. 
Yet, ironically, I hadn't yet learned how to say no to church callings. So, of course, I had three of them. (laughs) I was the ward music coordinator, the sacred meeting chorister, and the ward choir director. That year, I was in charge of the Christmas program. Somehow, I was tasked with scripting the whole program's narration, accompanying five other musical solos, leading the congregational hymns, as well as three choir numbers. And because I have a tendency to be super snooty about music, (laughs) which is a side effect of two college degrees in music composition, I gave myself the additional responsibility of arranging all the musical pieces myself. You know, as in writing each note for each part by hand and making it artistic and glorious, while also being simple enough for amateur musicians. No small task. Now, I have the ability to do this from eight years of college, but having the ability is different than having the capacity. Anyway, needless to say, I was stretched too thin. Christmas morning, I awoke at 6 a.m. to finish the solo I was arranging for my husband to sing. Of course, that piece had been left to the very end because I could practice any time with someone who lives in my house, right? (laughs) Yet here I was at six o'clock in the morning, still writing his part and the accompaniment. I remember my son opening the door to my studio, I don't know, probably around 7.30 in the morning, meekly asking, mom, can we open presents now? To which I dramatically cried, No! Go back to bed! I have to finish writing this piece still! In other words, Merry Christmas, now leave me alone! (laughs) Now, I did finish the composition and eventually joined my family for Christmas morning, and I did make it through the Christmas program. However, I went home and cried after it was all done and took three days to recover. Or let's be honest, I'm probably still recovering because I still have PTSD from Christmas on a Sunday six years ago. (laughs) But despite the trauma, the experience taught me some massively important things. After we had our traditional Christmas morning of opening presents, we shifted into church mode because it was on a Sunday and I was back into my frantic frenzy of preparation. It had snowed a foot of snow that morning. So what should have been a magical white Christmas suddenly added to the pressure of the day. My husband spent 45 minutes shoveling out the driveway in order for us to drive to church. As such, there were some very important things that never happened that morning. First, I never practiced the song with my husband. Second, I never got a shower (laughs) because now there was only one parent to get two young kids ready. And the third, I didn't realize until I was sitting on the stand at church after the meeting had already began, when it suddenly occurred to me that I had never even said a prayer that morning. I'd done nothing at all to connect with God. There were probably 500 people gathered in the church that day, hoping to have a meaningful Christmas experience. 
I was involved in every part of the program and had a significant part to play. And I had done nothing to have the spirit with me. Get good sleep? Uh, Nope. I went to bed late prepping presents and I got up early to finish composing music. Eat good food? (laughs) I'd had a handful of chocolate balls and sugary breakfast because, hey, it was Christmas. Exercise? Uh, Not unless you count frantically running around the house trying to finish things and prep a family for church in a literal snowstorm. Pray? Study scripture? Journal? Um, When would I have done that? (laughs) I suddenly felt slammed with the wall of guilt and shame. I told myself all 500 people would now have a downgraded experience because I had failed to do my duty. If only I had fasted for the day or spent an hour in prayer and journaling or done something meaningful to be at peace with myself and with God, then I would be deserving to have the Spirit with me and everyone here would benefit from my calm preparation and feel more of God's Spirit in the program. I felt trapped and out of time. (laughs) My chance to do anything meaningful to prepare myself had long passed. It was then that a voice came into my mind and whispered, Brooke, you can connect with me instantly. I sat there amazed. What? I can? Yes. Just choose to be connected right now. In a quiet three seconds, I got present, took a deep breath, and gave myself permission to be connected with God. Yes, I could be connected even if I hadn't done any of the things I had always believed were a prerequisite for deserving that connection. I could just choose it. Or dare I even say, I could just claim it as my birthright. That moment was life-changing for me. It defeated one of my long-held false beliefs. And there have been many, many similar moments since that time when I have needed to call upon that instant connection again, especially in moments where I was quick to tell myself I didn't deserve it. Not just when I hadn't done the good things, but moments where I've done the stupid or wrong things. Moments right after I've lost my temper. Moments after I've responded in a way I regret. Moments after I fall back into a bad habit. I'd grown up being taught that the spirit leaves when I am not perfect. Whether that means I'm not doing the checklist of holy habits or I am making stupid choices. That belief always meant I would force myself into my own period of penance to suffer for my sins. I wouldn't allow myself to come out of my self-condemned isolation until I deserved to, until I had changed my ways or done enough good things to earn that connection back again. This belief is incorrect and false. God never leaves us. 
I don't believe the Spirit of God ever leaves us, no matter what we do. We have a divine nature. We are children of heavenly parents, which eternally connects us to them. It's not even possible to disconnect from the essence of who we are. The only difference is whether we open or close ourselves off to this connection. It's a matter of our mind and heart, not a matter of God being conditional in who deserves to be loved and connected to. If this is true, connection really can be instant. It's as fast as my ability to open my mind and heart and claim the connection. It's not conditional. It's, it's just there. It's always there. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In other words, he's always there. The door is my own heart and mind. I am the one that opens or shuts the door. Now, I still have patterns of unbelief that creep in to tell me I don't deserve connection or to have God's spirit with me because I have to earn it. (laughs) And I'm trying, I'm trying to be faster at letting those thoughts pass and hold to the truth of heaven's constant presence and just open back up again. Now, at first it feels a little strange, like it can't be that easy, right? (laughs) But the irony is closing myself off because I think I don't deserve it serves no purpose. All it does is keep me stuck and low. The faster I can open and allow myself to be connected, then I am immediately back on the road of progress. Yes, even if I lost my temper five seconds ago or I did something stupid, I can instantly open back up and claim my connection back and make forward progress again and do it all with the support of heaven at my side. This connection is not conditional. I am the one that put condition on God. And life is lots harder and slower when I do that to myself. This principle of God's unconditional love and connection is beautifully illustrated in the parable of the prodigal son. We read in Luke chapter 15, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to pause for a moment. One of my favorite phrases here in this parable are these words. He came to himself. 
this is beautiful. This is a moment of remembering his identity. And when he remembers who he is, he gains courage saying, I will arise and go to my father. In other words, he remembers who he is, and this is what allows him to return to his father. He certainly hasn't done anything to deserve that reconnection, but remembering who he is puts his feet in motion to walk back home again. Continuing on, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Not only does the son reconnect with his father again, but his father celebrates his return. He didn't do anything to deserve this except return home. He opened up his heart and mind again. But remember, this parable is really about two sons. Now his elder son was in the field and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, My brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. It's interesting to note that elder son was doing all the good things. He's kept all the commandments. He's done everything to earn his father's love, but laments because he hasn't received a celebration. (laughs) And in some ways he's jealous that his brother could be rewarded without the works to deserve it. The father assures him saying, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. Again, God is always with us. His connection is constant and unconditional. But even this son who is outwardly doing all the right things, he too is disconnected. He's not allowed himself to receive all his father has. Now, I easily see myself in both of these sons. The moments I hold myself accountable to the perfection of a checklist to make me deserving of God's love and presence, I'm like the elder son, trying to earn my connection to God through my works. The moments I hold myself in shame, believing I am unworthy to be with God, I'm like the prodigal son, 
before he came to himself and returned. Both sons were extreme. One erred on the side of extreme rebellion and the other erred on the side of self-righteousness. Both of them were always welcome and loved by their father. Receiving his gifts was only a matter of having an open heart and mind. Friends, we can instantly be connected with God the moment we remember who we are and whose we are and choose to open our heart and mind to God. It really is that easy. (laughs) It really is that fast. Your connection to God is constant and unconditional. You always have God with you all the time. There's nothing you can do to break that connection. Whether or not you feel the connection may only be a matter of opening the door. This connection can't be destroyed or taken away. It's infinite and eternal. The Spirit of God is always with you. Open up and receive it. This is the grace of God. Last night, my teenage son snuck into my room because he had overheard me talking about this podcast topic on a Zoom call with my team. And he wanted some further clarification on what I was saying because it was different than what he had learned at church. After we talked through it, he said, Mom, I've had like five primary lessons about the marble in the jar, and it teaches the opposite. (laughs) And well, I had never heard about the marble in the jar object lesson, so he described it to me. He says, the teacher puts the marble in the jar, and the marble represents the Holy Ghost. And then the teacher continues to fill up the jar with cotton balls. Cotton balls represent sins and bad choices, or... Failure to do the good things like pray, read scripture, and go to church. Pretty soon, the jar is filled with cotton balls so much that you can no longer hear the marble rattling around. Now, I think there's still some basic truth to this object lesson. Our actions do open or close up our mind and heart. But unfortunately, this object lesson easily teaches a transactional gospel If you do this, then you have access to God. If you do not, then you don't get God. It turns into a fear-based motivation. I don't want to lose my access to God, so I better do what I'm supposed to do. So I asked my son, how does this teaching make you feel if you're not doing what you should be doing? And he quickly replied, hopeless. If I were to reteach this object lesson to my kids from a love and grace-filled gospel perspective, I'd explain that we do live in a world of cause and effect. Our actions do open our heart and mind or close our heart and mind to hearing and feeling God. And look, the marble is always, always there. The marble never leaves. And no matter what you do, God is always always there. And then for the older and emotionally mature child, I'd probably smash the jar. (laughs) And I'd say, you can't put God in a bottle. He's all powerful. He will always be reaching out to you because he loves and accepts you no matter what. 
He will do all he can to reach you and help you, even if it means everything has to fall apart for you to hear him. How else can you explain the stories of Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah in the Book of Mormon? Or the story of Paul? Or the prodigal son in the New Testament? Or any modern-day redemption story of someone doing all the wrong things? And yet, God still managed to break through to them. We all know how powerful these people become in the cause for good afterward. Not because they had lived a perfect life, but rather the opposite— They had learned from their own personal experience two different ways of living and the contrast and saving grace of a better way is what makes them so powerful in their testimony of Christ. If we're taught that God cannot reach us or speak to us, if we're not living perfectly, then it could have the effect of us completely closing off to hearing him because we believe he can't speak to us. We limit him. We put him in the bottle and believe God isn't capable of reaching us. Or even worse, that he doesn't want to reach us because he is disgusted. We teach that the Spirit cannot be in unholy places. We teach the Spirit leaves you if you go places like a bar or view bad media or hang out with people who make bad choices. But is that actually true? Is God disgusted? Does the Spirit ever truly leave us all alone? Is it dangerous for us to teach that? Do you think it's possible that the Spirit actually can be in unholy places? The Spirit has many roles. The Spirit is also there as a guide. The moments we are in unholy places or making unholy choices, we're not going to feel a confirmation of love, joy, and peace for our actions, but we will feel guidance. Perhaps it's the thought that says, don't take the drink, turn off the computer, stop what you're doing. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting another person. Remember who you are. I know from my own lived experience I have heard God loudly call out to me in moments where I have been doing the worst of things. Brooke, stop it. Brooke, choose a better way. Brooke, you don't have to be experiencing this right now. If in those moments I have the belief that God is always there, that I am always connected to Him no matter what I do, it's more likely that I'll recognize His voice and listen Sometimes we like to teach the fear-based way because fear is a great motivator. Unfortunately, it doesn't hold up from all sides. And in the end, it can't save us. Only love can save us. It might feel riskier to teach God is always there no matter what because we only want our kids to choose good. But we're human, and we need the experience of failure and darkness for our own learning. And if we believe that God can reach us, even in our failure and darkness, then we aren't left hopeless when we find ourselves there, because all of us will find ourselves there at some point. And when that happens, we come to ourselves. 
We have the courage to return home because we know our Father is always waiting to receive us. Your connection to God is constant and unconditional. Your connection to God is constant and unconditional. Your connection to God is constant and unconditional. See it. Say it. Feel it. Do it. Become it. You are a creator. Now go create something great. Great.